We do the hokey pokey, you turn yourself around, and that's what it's all about. That's all we need, man. Thanks so much, Dave. <laughs> welcome, welcome to the show. Welcome to the construction life, man. Really glad. I know we had a few little technical hiccups here and there, but uh, uh, to, to today's digital age, man, of communicating with people around the world. So uh, yeah. welcome. It's good to have you on the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Cool. And you're in Colorado, right? Yes. Okay, and we're in Toronto, so we got a little bit of snow. We didn't get the snow that uh, Buffalo got, but we got a little bit of snow. Yeah, well, it's been coming down here. We've got uh, two, three inches, but the bitter cold has really set in, and it's quite unpleasant right now. Uh, so, but you're still, do you work through the whole winter, or do you kind of shift yeah, we, gears? Yeah, we do. Yeah. No, we do. Um, I tried uh, I tried to convince people for years that we were not seasonal um, and really suffered through the winter months. And now I'm really trying to convince people that, yeah, we are seasonal, and it'd be really nice if we can get a few months off in the winter. I always had the idea when I first got into construction, uh, whenever I was invited to weddings and, and you'd walk through the tents and they set up all the tents and I started thinking, why can't we set up tents for backyards and just work yeah. right through the winter and have it climatized inside there? I haven't seen sure. anybody do it, but I totally would love to pull it off one day. Oh, well, we do. Oh, we you do? do? Okay, cool. Yeah, um, you know, because we do work through the winter. It really, you know, it's not something that we prefer to have to do, um, but you know, it seems like we have some really good projects that set in right about this time. And uh, believe it or not, we end up doing a lot of stone masonry this time of the year, which is the worst time of the year to do yeah, that to stuff. Do yeah. uh, so we do, we have some pop-up tents and then we'll um, uh, run some plastic along the side so that it gets down to the ground level and we'll put a heater up inside of there. And um, it actually makes for a comfortable work environment throughout the day. Nice, nice. All right. So before we get it all started, quick shout out to uh, to my brother there in, uh, I believe he's in New York, Robinson Sons. I'm wearing his tee today. Uh, and it's actually a really nice tee. I got to send him another message. We're always chatting on DMs on Instagram, always uh, shooting the shit about the industry and what's going on and everything. Uh, so a big shout out to him, Robinson Sons. And then I just want to give everybody the deets on you, Dave. It's LS Underground, owner, designer, 22 years, www.lsunderground.com. Uh, and you can reach him at dave at ellisontheground.com and all over social, which is under the, the banner of Ellis on the Ground. So you've got a Facebook, you got Instagram, and you got a YouTube channel as well. Correct. Cool. So, Dave, 22 years back, uh, where did it all start? Did you always focus on outdoor and deck building? Yeah, uh, pretty much right out of high school. I, I think in the first two years out of high school, I, I had probably 20 jobs. Um, you know, and, and I never liked anything. I always moved from project to pro or from job to job. And um, first day that I landscaped, I knew that that was my calling. It was just working outdoors, um, working with nature, working in the climate, working in the environment. It's something that I felt that I really had a connection to. And um, that's where it continued on. So landscape is where we started. And was it a challenge, I guess, at first to, because you are like we, we just spoke about, you're dealing with mother nature, you're dealing with elements, you know, like you can have everything prepared for you on the, the day that you want to get there and get working, but then curveball. Yeah, um, you know, certainly, of course, and I started out working for other companies and we just got pushed into that environment. Um you know, but I think that I'm happier working outdoors, even in inclement weather, instead of working indoors. Uh, so it's never really been an issue for me to have to deal with those kind of situations. Um, I think they're pretty much invited as well. Nice. Can you tell me, like, what's the one major difference between outdoor building 20 years ago to outdoor building today? Hmm. Um. Well, you know, from what I do, really, uh, you know, it was really physical 
back then. And I think that I've found ways to work a lot smarter, um, uh, to be able to, you know, enjoy what I do, um, you know, versus that physical nature of, of having to, you know, dig holes, um, work with a shovel. Um, you know, that's a, a big part for me personally, as far as my evolution from when I started to what it is now, you know, you don't, when you first get into it, you don't really understand the ins and outs of construction as much. Um, you know, I've got a lot more experience now. So, did somebody teach you or you were picking up tricks along the way from working with other people that you've taken to your business, right? Um, yeah, pretty much. That's, uh, you know, I was never really taught anything. You know, I was taught the landscape, um, you know, construction, but everything that I've involved, evolved to is through self-education and perseverance. So, I mean, not a lot of people would have been going right from high school right into the trades and especially not into the harder trades because you have one of the harder trades, right? Like there's a lot of physical activity behind everything that's getting done. Then you still got to run a business. Then you got to still run crews and you still got to deal with material. Like there's like, it's all compounded on top of other trades and what they're, then they're inside the house, which is nice and warm and toasty certain times. Right. So that was not intimidating to you at all. No. Um, and you know, in fact, I don't like working indoors at all, you know? And so working inside of somebody's house, that's, you know, the same as working for an employer inside of their building. Yeah. Um, you know, so, you know, working outdoors is just fine. So we just won't let everybody other trade that's in the business that we won't let them know that. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I liked the physical nature of that, you know, and out of high school, you're you know looking for gym memberships and things like that. And I thought, you know, if I'm working hard and I'm working outside, that's something that I don't have to pay for. And, you know, when you're first getting into it, you're not, you're not paid very much. And so you're always looking uh, for ways to, you know, kind of make up for that and bridge that situation a little bit. So I thought that physical nature of what I had gotten into was something that was going to benefit me from a health standpoint later on in life. And I actually feel like um, now I'm, I'm quite a bit healthier than where I, I could have been. Nice. Can you run us through your very first project? Like, what was it exactly? Um, for myself or what? No, when no, I first got into I, you know what? That's a good point that you bring that up. I mean, I would, if you can run us through the very first project for yourself and the very first project you actually did for a client that you got that first paycheck, you started a business and you started a business sure. off the back of your talent, right? Yeah. So, um, you know, my very first custom project and, you know, I'm going to call that my first project. I did a couple of odds and ends things when I first got started that don't really count to me, but, um, I was actually in a really bad situation. I had about $30 to my name and I just didn't know what I was going to do. Um, I printed out some flyers for 50% off sprinkler systems. Um, I knew I was really fast and efficient with that. And, um, you know, so I printed that out and I just went door to door, handing out flyers, uh, hoping somebody would buy it on a 50% off sprinkler system. Uh, you know, at that point I might've been, you know, getting to make a thousand dollars at the end of the project, uh, you know, and at about 20 years old, uh, that was pretty good money at that time. So, um, I actually got a hit from somebody in a town that was about, you know, 20 miles away from where I was currently operating out of. And, uh, that turned into a big custom project where we did the entire front yard, uh, with patio from the driveway up to the front porch, uh, a nice big water feature, a whole bunch of trees, landscape boulders, uh, stuff like that. And it is still one of my showpiece features and is still around today. In fact, I can drive by that project and it looks as beautiful as it did the day that we installed it. Uh, that was 20 years ago. Awesome. Um, you know, so I really hang my hat on that to know that 
you know, that simple way of advertising and going door to door and, um, you know, searching for clientele really paid off on that one for me. And then um, all the pictures and everything that we were able to get from that really catapulted my company and, you know, the next client after that, the next client after that. And then what was one of the projects that you did personally, I guess, just to, you know, get your feet wet kind of thing, just for yourself, uh, for yourself? Uh, a project that I did personally? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, that was the project. That really. was the one that just, you, so you just got right into it. You didn't have a family yeah. member. You didn't have somebody uh, that wanted something done. So, I mean, I know, I know a lot of trades, they kind of uh, test things out because they're not sure. exactly sure if clients are going to be willing to take a risk on somebody brand new. Sure. No, um, you know, I felt like I really excelled with some of the employers that I had worked for previously. And in fact, um, you know, the, the employer I was working for just before I went out on my own, I had only been with for probably six months. And I had just graduated basically out of a tree farm. That's where I started the, my actual landscape construction uh, was through a tree farm planting trees and, you know, just some basic landscape. But when I moved over to this other landscape company, uh, after just a few months, I was running his company while he was out playing golf. And, and having fun all day. And I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. Yeah. Um, you know, it turns out that that's not really what my passion was. My passion was building. And I knew that, um, you know, being self-educated and teaching myself uh, all the things that I wanted to know, um, you know, would lend it, you know, towards my success. Uh, I would always look at other people's work and, and contemplate how I would do that better if I got an opportunity to do that myself. And, um, you know, just kind of graduated from there. And, and that's how I've always... Uh, you know, kind of worked my way through everything is just self-knowledge and trying to do better every time and do better than other work that I've seen other people do. Um, we've got this little segment that I, or question that I'm always asking uh, guests on the show, which is a construction bone to pick. And I'm okay. just trying to figure out, uh, was there a bone back then that, you, you know, is it the same bone today or has that bone been kind of fixed up or changed? Uh, but if there's a current one these days, what's what's a construction bone that you have? Um, you know, it's, it's always been material, to be honest. Um, even two decades, two decades ago, it was always material too. Yeah, no, it, it was, it's, uh, it's finding quality material. Um, you know, a lot of time you, you get low on or suppliers get low on inventory and it's just picking through the junk that they have left over and trying to take that junk and turn it into something appealing. Uh, it always takes more effort to do so, um, you know, and so that's always been a big problem and um, it still is a problem anymore. Um, you know, getting getting material that is of high quality and easy to use just doesn't seem like it's a priority for suppliers. Do, have you asked them? Have you spoken to them and asked them like, come on guys, what's going on here? Yeah, certainly, you know, because I focus in the deck industry now and one of the biggest problems is scratched material and scratched deck boards. And it's it's handling, you know, in the manufacturer, in the supplier's facility. Uh, it's not necessarily, you know, from the manufacturers itself. Um, it's just from the suppliers and how they handle that stuff. Dragging boards upside down, loading it into racks upside down, uh, gravel in between deck boards, you know, it's... Um, it's very difficult to find quality stuff all the time. 
Were you? Are you talking about either wood or composite decking, or is it just strictly composite? Well, I think that it's. I think that it's both. And okay. you know, I want to speak more. You know, with my experience now, you know, with lumber, it just comes wet and it comes twisted and and warped. And you know, just the quality of lumber, I think, has gone down in general over the last couple of years. Um, you know, I'm not disagreeing with you, man. I totally agree. Yeah, from the from the standpoint of, you know, the natural material of wood and just the milling process and the drying process and all that, they're pushing that stuff out as fast as they can. Wood's getting heavier every day because it's it's wetter than it ever has been. So there's not even a curing process um, with like treated lumber or anything like that anymore. Are you factoring that in when you're building and regarding spacing and everything? Are you having to predict the future to figure out how much will this shrink over time? Yeah, no, actually, so, and, and we try to account, well, when we're using like a southern yellow pine for our framing material, um, we'll understand that we're going to get about a quarter inch of shrink after framing even, and, you know, because all the material comes bundled together, and, and then it's wrapped too, so it traps all that moisture, and it doesn't have any opportunity to dry out, and, um, you know, when we install that, we don't have time to unwrap it and let it sit on a job site for a couple of days to be able to dry out, so, you know, we just get right to it and we hang that stuff. But, uh, you know, when we're putting a ledger on the wall, we know that all the joists are going to set a quarter inch up above that. And then, you know, three or four days after we get all of the framing done, it dries out to a point where that shrinks down. Um, you that, know, so that, we have accounted for some of that stuff. That's honestly, that's messed up. Like that's it just is. messed up that we as tradespeople have to factor that into our design and building process. Yeah, that's true. It makes and, you know, sense. but you have we have options. Uh, you know, we can go with kiln dried lumber. You know, at a, a higher cost. Um, you know, and if I can factor that into a project, I certainly am going to do that because for one, the moving the material is going to be a lot easier and then we don't have to deal with all of the shrinkage as it's drying out. Uh, so we're a little bit more accurate when we go that route. And then the, you know, newer products are the treated LVLs, uh, engineered lumber, being able to use that stuff on a project is extremely flat. So when building a deck, we don't have to plane the boards afterwards because, you know, when a board dries, you know, you know it doesn't just shrink, it, it warps and it twists and it bows. And, um, you know, we're going to frame a frame a deck and we might let it sit for a week and let it dry before we even start flooring uh, just to see where it's going to move to and, um, you know, m make those uh, adjustments after the fact. But the treated LVL uh, engineered lumber, that's where we're going anymore. Treated a couple of questions. Um, treated LVLs. I thought all LVLs were treated. No, I don't know about interior because I don't do any of that no, stuff. No, like but. even all the interior LVLs, any engineered lumber is, is already treated to be protected. Like you could technically speaking leave an LVL outside, even in our climate, and it's not going to change it because it's just uh, it's an engineer treated. Uh, so I just yeah. I was just asking about that. But I mean, do, yeah. do clients press you to um, I, it's a great idea. And I agree with you that you build your frame, you get it all going and you let it sit because you know it's going to dry before you yeah. start putting your finished material on top of it. Do your clients press you to get started sooner? Because now you're, they're excited. I've seen the, the, seen the scope of my future deck, but I want to start walking on it. But I can't yeah. walk on it because Dave just told me that I got to let it dry a bit. And he's like, it's outside. The wood was outside. It came from outside. It's never been inside. So why do we have to wait? Like, do you get that from clients? 
Yeah, no, I, I used to get that from clients, um, you know, because it's something that we developed throughout our process, um, you know, with having problems after the fact. If we get a floor on too soon, you know, it'll be nice and flat, but then days or a week later, there's a, there's waves in it. You know, if you're looking down the, the side of the deck, you can see the waves when the lumber shrinks and dries down. And so now I'm more upfront with the clients and I explain to them why we let that dry and uh you know what the purpose is for that and it's there's a lot of understanding um believe it or not there's a lot of people that do their research before hiring us for a deck project and have heard things like that before as far as the the moisture in the lumber and uh, the need for that to dry out so at least i'm up front with the clients anymore and let them know what the process is and they're all okay with that it's funny how dave you probably saw this like 20 years ago even maybe 30 years ago decks weren't all that important to people no that's true like the outdoor you, you, I can tell space from the, I, I can tell from the quality of installation of the decks that i tear down that are yeah that old. yeah they didn't care they just half-assed it and put it together and then get it out there and that was it but nowadays decks have become an extension of the house nowadays decks are even better than their kitchens and their family rooms and they're spending more time outside especially with the whole you know the way the world was just turned upside down everyone quickly realized that we wanted to go outside and have our backyard space and use our backyard space properly yeah and that certainly worked for my favor too you know um, being in the trade that i'm in is that outdoor living space and how do you you know, take the indoors outdoors or the outdoors indoors. Um, you know, we take out a lot of walls, we take out a lot of windows uh, to add doors and, um, you know, larger entranceways in, in and out of the house so that they can bridge that gap between a kitchen and an outdoor kitchen or the entertaining space where there's a fire feature where they can um, entertain company and have people using both of those spaces at the same time. So you're handling that too, or you're also you're giving that scope of work to other people? Uh, the actual no, no, I'm I'm completely in house with everything that we okay. do. Yeah. Um, you know, so when it comes to taking out a window and installing a new accordion door or something like that, um, you know, that's all within the scope of what we offer. Um, I want to get into our first segment here, but before that, I want to just ask you a quick question. You ever had a client? Because I always had this idea to build something, <laughs> but I haven't come across it yet, and it might end up being built in my own place. Uh, making an outdoor fireplace that also could be converted into a waterfall. Yes, absolutely. Have you built one of those? Um, no, but I have that on uh, in my plans for something to do in the future. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of water feature and fire feature work, and to incorporate the two of those together uh, would be really cool to see. Yeah, because, I mean, there's that moment where you can't use both of them at the same time in between seasons, but you're definitely going to use the fireplace during the cooler nights and days, right? And then you'll Certainly. use the water feature during the hotter summer days, right? So I, I, yeah. I've yet to have a client pull the trigger on that, but I'd totally be able to. I, I'd be excited about trying to pull that one off. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Cool. I want to talk a little bit of history uh, of landscaping here. Uh, European landscaping became popular with the Romans. Uh, gardens were an escape from the city life and used uh, religious and symbolic elements. Uh, were designed for walking. Uh, they lost popularity during the Renaissance period. And then in Italy, landscaping grew from gardens to outdoor plazas and villas. Middle Eastern landscaping revolved around the area of paradise involving water, fruit trees, flowers, and shade, were designed for sitting and contemplation, and often closed to keep out harsh surrounding landscapes. And then Asian landscaping in Japan, landscaping was typically influenced by the prominent uh, religion uh, of the period, designed to be places for quiet reflection and meditation, 
Gardens of China were designed for visitors as a, a spiritual utopia, required to be designed and built according 17, to the 17 necessary elements with symbolic plants such as bamboo representing strength and resilience. And now, what are people asking, Dave, around your neck of the woods there? What are the clients asking for when they talk? They've got a canvas. It's an open canvas. It is just grass. And sure. so they come at you now. And what are these families asking for? Well, they're asking for creativity, originality. They want something that's different than what their neighbors have. Um, I mean, it's refreshing, it, you know, for myself being a highly creative person, or at least I like to think that I am, um, to be able to have those requests and give myself an opportunity to design something that's kind of out of the norm, something that's very appealing and create that wow factor for people. Um, you know, so, you know, bridging the landscape into that outdoor living space is something that I have a lot of experience with, especially starting as a landscape construction company and then graduating into the more of that outdoor living space. Uh, I really enjoy putting it all together. Uh, you know, a lot of people, they're going to hire a deck builder just to build the deck. Then they're going to bring in another landscape company to do the complimentary work around that, where I provide all of that service myself. And, um, you know, so it gives me the, the freedom to really try new things. And um, here recently, I've been really trying to bridge the landscape and the deck industry together, uh, incorporating boulders into the decks and then uh, bringing the fire features out from the patio and up onto the deck and then having, uh, you know, multiple elements that just transfer between the two different scopes of work. Nice, man. Is there any particular how you tackle it when they start like the ball rolling? Let's say the client wants everything out there. They want their seating area. They want their dining area. They want their cooking area. Um, you're just you're looking at each project as trying to use as much natural material to connect with each other or are you yeah. still taking a peek at inside the house and bringing some elements from the inside or already what they've created and then bring some of those elements to the exterior yeah i try to bridge that uh i certainly do go through the house and i look through all the windows and i see what their um, layout is inside what kind of materials they use you know oftentimes it's not transferable from the inside to the outside but if you can match textures colors things like that uh, the goal is to make everything look like it was all done together in the first place yeah. uh, what i hate more than anything is having a nice stone veneer on the house and then building a concrete retaining wall you know or concrete blocks on the outside uh, you know i prefer to build a cmu wall and, um, you know, get the same stone that was used on the house and do a veneer on the exterior. That really helps to bridge everything together, um, you know, and then the, the colors of like floorings and things like that. If I can transfer that from the indoor to the outdoor, that really helps to make that transition a little bit more seamless when you're, um, you know, traversing those spaces. And uh, are most people, your clients, are they asking for the composites or are they asking for wood decking? Yeah, the, the composites, um, you know, and that's really where the industry is going anymore, too. Um, you are know, you a fan? Do you, would you choose composite over wood or wood over composite or you're yeah. in the middle? No, I, I would choose the composite deckings over the wood decking. Yeah. Um, you know, I am against deforestation, and so there's a lot of hardwoods that I will not use, uh, actually refuse to use that. And, uh, you know, it has really probably been five years or more that since I've gotten a request for uh, a wood deck. So why are clients asking for the non-wood decks? Are they... Is it environmental choice? Is it they want a uh, low maintenance? It's is it well, like what's the reasoning behind? 
Uh, that it's both of those. Um, yeah. The a lot of the composites anymore they're using recycled plastics, and um, the material that I use in the company that I use primarily, uh, they recycle industrial plastics, which are quite you know difficult to recycle in the first place and typically are never recycled and for them to be able to use those industrial plastics and keep those out of landfills incorporate that into a board that you know they're going to give a 50-year warranty on staining and fading and you know all of that stuff with these um, new products and people really enjoy um, being able to say that when they have people over and, and and they can bring up a fact like that what's the brand that you like using Dave uh, I prefer Timber Tech. Okay, yeah, they got a wide variety. They yeah, they have a very decent variety. Uh, nice colors, nice textures. Uh, they have several different lines with different price points on them. So generally, we can find something within everybody's budget. And then I, I noticed that a lot more decks they're they're pulling out the wider boards. Um, yeah, I just they're nicer. They're great. Um, they're a little more challenging to work with. Um, True. and then also fastening, uh, purposes. Have you figured out how to handle those guys? Oh yes, of course. Um, you know, and that's something that we gravitated to right away. It's just part of the originality of what we bring as a company is to be able to incorporate those multidimensional boards into our projects. Um, you know, when a client's asking for something different and original from what their neighbors have or anybody else in the neighborhood, um, you know, we introduce those different uh, widths of boards and uh, try to come up with combinations and floor patterns that are appealing and um, it's certainly been something that has been a, a game changer for us and the way that we design. I just, every time I'm talking to deck builders and, and I, I guess the industry itself, I'm always fascinated that for some reason, whenever we start talking about designing a deck for outdoor use, curves have to come into the conversation or curves have to be a part of it. But when you're inside the house, and I only bring this up is because, yeah, decks and outdoor living is an extension of your indoor living. But True. most people don't have all these curves. Nobody's designing kitchens with curved countertops or curved walls or anything like that. But when it goes out to the outdoor living, it's automatic. Let's just make a bunch of curves. I'm not a fan of a bunch of curves. I'm a fan of, you know, it, it's got to be proper design. It has to be a reflection I, I of the house. Yeah. So, I mean, but yeah. you're getting those clients. They're like, we want a massive pergola here or we want a massive curve here. And then a curve railing and curve. It's like curve everything. And I just, I'm trying to understand the thought process behind that uh you know it's a very difficult thing to do uh, you know from a outdoor living space in, you know especially with decks is to to have circular shape to that um it's it's original you know when you think of a deck you think of a square or a rectangle and you know for history that's all that a deck has ever been and to have the ability to curve deck boards you know it's not necessarily just curving an edge but maybe creating a pattern of the flooring that has curvature to it some kind of an inlaid design um, you know, it's, it's something that allows for some artistic creativity, um, you know, but not all living spaces match that criteria of that indoor and outdoor space blended together. Uh, you know, there's a big separation from what is indoor and what is outdoor. And, um, you know, a lot of the time it's just uh, the overall living space, the shape and the feel of that and how it flows together. And that's really, that's the key word is flow. And that's what people are always, you know, asking for when they're open to curvature and they're open to shape. Um, you know, that's the, the phrase that I get the most is, can you make it flow? Uh, and I noticed on your feed that 
you had a lot of virtual stuff going on and it's amazing to show sure. clients all the virtual are are every client now asking since you kind of pulled the genie out of the bottle uh for the virtual now is that what's going on yeah that's all that i offer anymore um is it an know, expensive tool dave is it, it, it you know i mean it's relevant to what i do you know okay. um you know a lot of tools that you use whether it's the construction tools or, or whatnot is part of the process. And, you know, the better the investment that you make into your tools, the better of a product that you can supply for your clients. And the 3D and virtual designs are a key element to all of that. It's the best way to showcase what the ideas are for the project and really help the client understand, um, you know, how everything is supposed to work together. And, you know, I, I haven't drawn a top view design for I think six years now so yeah, everything is virtual and you know at least digital it might not be the virtual setting where they can put the VR goggles on and look around and walk around their yard but I have the ability to turn their designs into a video presentation and a walkthrough and then I get to just send a link to them uh, this is something that developed over the course of COVID where you really had a difficult time meeting with people and if I can just send them a video link and have them sit on their couch on their 70 five inch TV and watch a video of what my ideas for their design are, you know, that's a huge selling point. And so from an investment standpoint, it's been well worth the money. Nice, man. Um, and I, I want to let people know, because I'm pretty sure, listen, your scope of work is a big ticket item. Like this is not about give me a deck that's going to cost $19.99. It's just like, that's not how this is going to work. You've got yeah. the biggest machinery. You've got the biggest materials. You've got a, a huge crews that have to handle certain things. There's structural, there's aesthetic, there's all kinds of stuff there. I mean, what's the average outdoor project costing these days? What's the reasonable that a client looks at this and go, if I want to do this, this is what I'm, I, I should be saving my pennies for. Yeah. You know, I think starting price is about $35,000. Um, you know, and that's just to get something decent, something livable with a little bit of visual appeal, but uh, on average, you know, $50,000 is a more realistic budget to have, uh, you know, and that's hard for a lot of people to say that, you know, they can come up with that, but uh, the way the housing market fluctuates too, you know, a lot of people end up pretty, pretty nice on their house from when they actually bought it to what the value of that is now and people able to take money out of the house to put into those outdoor projects and get an upgrade uh, only helps them from a, um, a monetary value on the you know what their house is worth and then resale value as well if they decide that they ever want to move but um, you know again getting outdoors is the key here uh, you know it used to be that you were on vacation every Saturday and Sunday you know you'd work from Monday to Friday and then you spend the rest of your weekend heading up into the mountains or to the lake or something like that with the family and that's just something that is very difficult to do anymore so if you can bring that to the um, you know down to the suburbs and into the yard and give yourself a pleasant place to be um, you know that's where most people are finding that appeal and justifying the the costs for those I, I mean, me personally, Dave, it just seems like those numbers seem extensively low. Like, no, I, I agree, you know, and I'm talking about just entry level kind of stuff, yeah, too. Yeah. Um, you know, in our market here in Colorado, uh, you know, to be honest, my projects are all over $100,000. Yeah, that, that and, seems like it's what it, where it should be. 
Yeah, no, and it is. And because that's where the high level of creativity and implementation of design comes in. Uh, you know, if you want something that's creative and something that your neighbors don't have, it's going to cost quite a bit more. You know, uh, the, maybe the reason why your neighbors just have a square deck is because all of that, uh, that's all they could have afforded. Um, you know, but to get curvature, I mean, that's something that's very difficult to do. And there's not a lot of people that do that. Uh, it is certainly growing in the market, um, you know, but it does come with a cost. So, I mean, there's a lot of talk about the uh, the neighbors. I mean, is there lots of competition here? Like, is it all about keeping up with the Joneses and yeah. trying to figure out what so-and-so had? So then I've got to build this. It's got to be bigger and better. better yeah, looking. Uh, it's something that I've always seen uh, from the moment that I started construction is, you know, uh, and we did a lot of new construction when I first got into it. And I think that's what helped catapult me and my company as well as there's just so much new construction to be done. Uh, not enough, you know, renovation is all just brand new stuff. And so you get into a new neighborhood and, you know, maybe there's 50 new houses in this neighborhood and three or four of them uh, are at the point where they have outdoor living spaces. People start to see some work of other people and they get some different ideas and uh, everybody wants to top that. And there is a lot of competition what part of colorado are you in uh we're north of denver uh, a little town called longmont it's probably about 30 minutes north how far would vale be from you guys uh vale would be about two hours to the west and up the mountains we live right uh right outside of boulder basically okay. which right. is the edge of the mountain so all of eastern colorado is plains all of western colorado is mountains and there is a distinct line from where those separate yeah i that's what i <laughs> which is kind of funny um in a, in a different kind of way um your clients where are they getting i'm assuming they they're getting ideas they're already coming at you with some ideas. They're probably pulling Pinterest. They're probably pulling house or they're pulling whatever magazines that they're flipping through. Uh, are you seeing a lot of that? No, I'm not actually, um, you know, just from, you know, where we stand as a company and the different, um, things that we've achieved throughout the career, especially here in the last couple of years, people are seeking us out, um, just to hear what my ideas are. Uh, I usually don't get very much input from clients anymore. Uh, they pretty much show me the space that they're interested in transforming and ask me to come up with some wild concept. Are you still on the tools, Dave? Oh Dave? yeah, no, absolutely. Really? Um, you know, I, I think- You're not shifting as, the business yet to get off the tools and just focus on the design aspect of it or? No, there will be a point where I do and I, and I just focus on the design, but you know, it goes all the way back to when uh, I was running my boss's company and he was out playing golf. I thought that that's what I wanted to do, too. I just wanted to run a couple of crews, you know, say hi in the morning and, and be off and doing whatever fun stuff that I decided I was going to do. But it really turns out that my passion is building. Uh, I love the construction process. Uh, I love to uh, implement the design and be accurate with that. Um, you know, and really, you know, replicate what I designed um, in real life. Uh, oh, should I forgot? I was going to just ask you something. How big is the crew? Uh, we're pretty small. Um, you know, I have one guy that's solid guy that works for me every day. And then we usually bring on one or two other guys at the beginning of the year, um, more like laborers and craftsmen and training. Um, unfortunately guys don't really last very long in the construction business. I, I don't know why that is. It's um, just hard work too focus, hard work. They, you know, it is hard work and you have to be dedicated with what you do. And, you know, you have to, 
you know, have a desire to improve yourself and, uh, you know, do good in life just in general. And um, I've had a really hard time finding quality employees the last couple of years. Now, you know, I have a certain focus of what the company is about and what our goals are. And, uh, you know, again, I think of myself as an artist. And um, from that artist standpoint, I can't hand somebody else the paint and have them replicate what it is that I'm thinking in my brain. So, um, you know, I have to stay on those tools and I have to, um, you know, be a main part of that. And it happens to be what I enjoy to do. But I mean, one day, Dave, like you, everybody I've spoken to in construction, including myself, one day you're going to, I mean, this year for me, it's been kind of interesting to actually let go of a lot of tools that I know I'm not going to be using anymore uh, sure. for doing work. I'm like, I'm not going to handle that anymore. I'm going to hire somebody that's going to take care of that. They've got their arsenal of tools. Um, yeah. So it's, it's actually been a very good feeling where I felt a weight was lifted off my shoulders and then I can st I start focusing on other things I want to pull off. Right. Uh, so no, eventually one day it's going to happen, right? It's going to happen for you. You're going to have to find somebody that's going to replace Dave, replace Dave yeah. on site. And that's all on training, you know, and, and training guys to my styles and my methods and the way that I like things to be done, uh, you know, and, and, and being able to hand that off at some point, uh, you know, again, I have some goals that I'm still trying to achieve with the company and that requires me being on site, but there will be a time when I graduate to, uh, you know, getting, you know, letting go of some of those responsibilities. I mean, I can tell you now from a, a landscape standpoint, knowing that that's where we started, I don't push wheelbarrows anymore. I don't dig holes. You know, I, I've given those shovel duties away to other people, you know, to pick up the saw and the tape measure and, uh, you know, do some of that lighter duty stuff. You know, I've been been in the industry for over 20 years now and from a physical standpoint although i feel very healthy you know being physical all those years um you know it's just something that i don't have a desire to do anymore either uh, and there will come a point where i don't have the desire to be out on the site anymore um you know actually building and i do have a passion for design and that is where i'm going to be graduating to uh let's have a little fun i'm curious about uh tools what tool brand okay. are you because I, I i'm trying to figure out I think deck builders and outdoor trades people, they're a wide gambit of tools. I think they're trying, they're using a different set there. I don't think there's any kind sure. of loyalty to one. So I'm curious about yours. Well, well I'm a Milwaukee guy myself. Nice. Um, I, I love all of the battery drive uh, technology that's come out a lot uh, or here recently. Um, Milwaukee has a very nice variety of tools. Um, they're powerful. They do the job, um, you know, and that's my primary um, pack case, you know, what I keep with me every day. But we have specialty tools where, you know, I think that there's better brands for certain tools. And, uh, you know, we do keep a variety of those things. But uh, generally speaking, we're looking around the job site and it's all red. It's all red, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Can you tell me about some of the specialty tools? Um, so they have the 12 volt uh, series. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they have some small die grinders and some um, smaller drill and driver sets where, you know, the standard driver maybe won't be able to get into a certain area or you can't get a grinder into a certain area because of the size. And to have those smaller tools that have a lot of power behind those uh, really helps out from a production standpoint and from an accuracy and quality standpoint as well. I want to talk a little bit of our building code OBC talk here, minimum depth of deck foundations. What do you guys got to dig down to? 
Uh, so it varies between 30 and 36 inches here in our area. Um, you know, some municipalities will allow you to only go 30 inches. Um, some are going to require 36 inches to get underneath the frost line. But the truth is, I've never seen frost that low in the ground. Um, you know, in my entire career, I, I don't think I've ever seen frost um, deeper than eight inches. Um, you know, so I think that it's excessive, but we do have a lot of clay, clay and expanding soils in the area. And so uh, the 36 is basically our standard, regardless of if they're going to let us get a way with 30 inches uh we'll usually take that down to 36 we're 48 here oh wow oh yeah we're 48 and that's like a bare minimum um and yeah. that's that's so that that just goes off of these minimum decks uh, depth of deck foundations here that we have to abide by 48 if it's more than one story you have to start considering all these foundation foundations if it's more than 55 square meters which is 592 square feet um, has a distance of more than uh, 600 millimeters or 23.58 between the finished ground and the underside. So at what point do you have to start ha adding handrails on the elevation of your deck? Because we're, uh, at, 30, we're at 24, 30, 30 inches. 30 right? inches, yeah. Okay, yeah. all right. And I, and I think that that's a little high. Uh, you know, I from your 24 We're 24, we're there. 24. Well, yeah. Technically, we're 23 and 5 eighths. Okay, well, um, that's quite an odd number, to be honest, <laughs> you know, um, that they would not just round that off. At well, I think they're going metric, so they're going 600 millimeters. And then that's how you, that. how you get it, right? Yeah, so, and I agree with you. I think, I think two feet is a, a comfortable that if you were to lose your balance, you can kind of recover off of two feet. If it's three feet, that's a little more challenging to recover. Yeah, no, it certainly is. And, you know, I've been, I've built a couple of projects where we're right at that 30 inch threshold and it's questionable. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it, from a safety standpoint, certainly I would like to see a railing. You know, if we're at 29 inches and we're just below what the requirement is for that, you know, that's no different than 30 inches from a falling standpoint if you're falling down on rocks or yeah. on concrete yeah. or something like that. Um, you know, so I'm going to keep that in mind when designing as well and try to incorporate the railings or at least, um, you know, break that up instead of doing a rail, uh, you know, maybe a elongated staircase or something yeah. like that that yeah. creates more of a um, transition down to the yard. Uh, you know, but there's some places where you just have to have a railing. Yep. So just, yeah, it all has to do with uh, the frost penetration and uh, you have to have your drainage properly. Uh, and it also has to be, yeah, so we're actually technically speaking 47 and a quarter inches into clay and undefined soils. All the other types of decks are undefined. So what is your soil like out there? Is it very hard clay? Yeah, it is a hard clay. Well, it depends on the area. You know, like I said we live right on the edge of the mountains where it's all plains on the east side and, and mountains on the west side. So we have a, a really high clay base as we're closer to the mountains. But as we go out east, it gets a lot sandier. And then up into the mountains, um, really horrible digging conditions. Um, it, you know, it's mostly stone and rock. And uh, that's really hard to dig holes to pour concrete. Uh, you know, so we've actually, and even in the plains when it's sand, you know, you dig holes and those holes cave in before you can even get concrete poured. So we've had to look into alternative foundation systems. Uh, Dave, I'd love to get into the world of fasteners. And I mean, recently, a couple of years ago, I did a deck with a wide board timber tech product and the client was very specific, wanted stainless steel hex face screwed uh throughout he wanted all those little stainless steel dots on all the deck right <laughs> what are you and it, it looked pretty for me i it wasn't my thing because i knew in the summer months those little screws which were like a number 10 head those are going to be hot 
And if you're barefoot and walking on it, you're going to feel that heat coming off that stainless steel screw. I'm assuming that you're mostly hidden fasteners. Yeah, we're, we're either side clip or we're um, uh, screw and plug. Uh, okay. You know, so we'll recess all of our screws. We usually won't have any face screws showing whatsoever. And uh, we use the Fasten Master Cortex system. You know, they'll actually take the boards from the manufacturers, create plugs out of those boards. So it's a perfect match to texture and color. Uh, recess all of those screws into the deck board itself and uh and then plug all of those holes and um you know 85 percent of the time we get a perfect match to the board but we're stuck with what the manufacturers provide us uh, from a color scheme and a lot of the deck boards anymore have a lot of color variation to those uh, some color striations through that so uh, we'll get some random plugs that you know are just like an off color and they don't really match um you know from a a perfection standpoint from what we're trying to plug, but um, you know, about 85% of it, you, you'll never see where any of those yeah. screws are. Yeah. And then the side clips you're using, I guess, because you're choosing a board that's got a groove in it and they're, they're recommending the clips for that board, right? They do, you know, and they'll hold a warranty against you if you don't use the clips that they specify for that. And, you know, and that's just their way of getting out of having to warranty something, um, you know, but I'll use Trex, uh, hideaway clips. Okay. They're very rigid. It's a glass composite, glass plastic composite. Um, they don't dig into the board because there's a lot of metal fasteners. And if you over squeeze a board together, because they're not all straight, you have to force them straight uh, when you're laying out a deck board and you can over tighten boards and dig those clips into the side. And that'll affect the gapping between those. Um, so to use that Trex hideaway clip, um, that's my preferred method of side clip fastening. It is more tedious and a longer installation process because they're individual. They're not on collated strips or anything like that, um, but they are more accurate. So, uh, you know, if we, as long as our first deck board is perfectly straight, everything else should fall in line after that. Now with the wider boards, when you get into like an eight inch board, are you putting two face screws and then plugging it? Or are you putting three face screws and plugging it? Uh, we do three face screws on a six inch board on the ends. Um, and then we, on an eight inch board, we're using four on the end, but then we're using two on every joist in the field. On the field, right? And then with, yeah. if you go the side mounted clip system, do you find that sometimes there's a little bit in the center of a wider board that's not completely fastened tight to the actual joist? Or are they sitting perfectly comfortable there? No, uh, you know, because we're going to plane that, you know, and so we're going to be completely flat. So everything that we tighten up in the center of the board is the same as what it is on the end. There is any gap difference from, you know, an elevation standpoint of how that board sits flat. Uh, we haven't had an issue with any of that stuff, um, you know, but I do want to say that when we do use side clips, we still do the Cortex end um, screw fastening, and that helps with expansion, contraction, and movement of the board. Nice. Are you... Um protecting all the joists are you absolutely a, a membrane of some sort do you have a go-to membrane yeah. that you work with yeah um vicor it's it's easy to work with it's inexpensive um it's forgiving it's self-sealing uh you know so that's typically what we use there's a couple of other manufacturers that other guys prefer to use um you know but you know like myself with timber tech it's just who you prefer as a manufacturer and what you're used to but uh, vicor comes in a whole bunch of different sizes um you know and it and we do we protect everything um all of our joists all of our the tops of our beams the tops of all of our posts before we put beams on just anywhere where water has an opportunity to sit we're going to make sure that that's protected are you correct me if i'm wrong but uh when it comes to any composite material decking 
Are you, you have to go 12 inch on center or you can get away with 16 on center? You can get away with 16 on center, but I haven't done that for years. Uh, our standard is 12 inches on center. And there's a lot nice. of times where we'll actually even go smaller than that. And we'll do 10 inch on center. Why would you go uh, with 10? What's an example of a 10 inch on center? Uh, Timber tech has a, um, has a line called Azek, and okay. it is a 100% PVC. And so, you know, anything that's plastic that's going to sit in the sun is going to want to, um, you, you know, become more pliable. And, uh, you know, we found, you know, at 12 inch centers, there's a couple of opportunities when you're in that, uh, you know, high sun for that to want to kind of feel spongy underneath you yeah. and uh, and we'll shore that up to 10 inches and really at the end of the deck what's it just a couple more joists and cost uh you know for the feel of structural stability i'm on the same plane man it, it, like it makes a lot of sense i think every single deck i ever built has always been a minimum 12 inch on center and then when you started getting into some odd shapes whatever i was literally just blocking everything and it was becoming 12 inch by 12 inch squares everywhere because it yeah. gave you the nailing surface that you needed the area that you needed and then you wouldn't have any problems so you might as well do it that way it's structurally sound right sure no that's true and you know if you think of it from a, a purchasing standpoint you know you might need 38 joists on a on a deck but they come 42 in a bunk why wouldn't you just order the bunk, you know, and get all of that there? You've got four extra joists. And if you're going 10 inch on center instead of 12, you know, at the end of your 20 foot deck, you know, you fit those in and it actually saved you money from a material standpoint because you bought it in bulk, um, you know, and then you get that more rigid deck frame um, by adding those. It really is an insignificant cost. Did you ever get into the aluminum joist systems? No, I use steel. Um, okay. Not I haven't used the aluminum yet, and I've looked into a couple of alternative products to be able to start branching off to, especially with the quality of lumber that we're getting anymore. Yeah, which is bad. Um, and then the fact that most of these manufacturers are providing a thirty to fifty year warranty on their deck flooring. You know, typically wood isn't going to last that long, and so why would you put a deck floor down on wood that's not going to last as long as the surface product is? So, uh, graduating to steel and aluminum, I think, is good for the industry. Uh, we're in a class fire rating area um, on the west side of the the state here and um, you know there is requirements for what kind of a structure you can build to keep that fire resistant uh, and the steel and aluminum are going to be key in the future of building here have you ever uh have you heard of um uh grand oh man why am i forgetting this name man um uh, grand usa the clip system it's no, a, I haven't. It's an aluminum. They're they're at, they're actually now in uh, they're in Texas right now. Uh, I'll have to get it. I'll have to find out where it is. But I mean, it's a it's basically a snap in place. So you're using a specific uh, deck board that's got a groove in it, and you just snap it in place. But it's also you can access it to remove it if you have a damaged board. Um, but it actually works off of uh, aluminum or steel joist systems. Uh, I think I've heard of the product that you're talking they, about. They've been at yeah. IBS a couple of times already, so they're out there. Sure. They're now sure. setting up shop in the States, uh, so and they're also here in Canada as well. It's just it's a pretty slick system when it comes to it. They also are working with pedestals because I'm assuming that you're also getting into working with pedestals as well. I am, yes. For stone, right? Or are you using pedestals for, I guess you're using them for second floor decking? 
Yeah, and that uh, rooftop decking, uh, stuff like that, um, you know, and we're also using pedestals on um, overlay projects too, where, you know, we're we're building low to the ground framework on top of patio. Um, pedestals work great for that. Now I just remember the name. I'm not old anymore. Grand Concept. Grand Concept USA. So uh, that's they've got a whole clip system and everything like that, which I think is pretty fascinating. But you got to use a specific board for it. Um, okay. Yeah, I, I do like I I do like the pedestals. I think the pedestals were were genius because back in my day, at the beginning of it, you know, I guess the go to was you'd get some sleeper that's made out of um, uh, a rigid foam, and then you kind of cool. construction adhesive to the asphalt, and then sure. you you kind of build off of that. But that never made any sense to me because foam. As soon as UV touches it, it deteriorates. So it becomes like powder. Uh, so you're already failing at that point. Well, uh, decorators, they have a sleeper system that they've come up with the last couple of years. And they have the new deck board that's a mineral composite where there's no wood fiber in that at all. It's a, it's a mineral. Nice. And uh, they make those sleepers out of that mineral composite as well. They're very strong, very sturdy, and they do hold up to all of the elements. That's something that we've used quite a bit in our uh most current projects um you know especially when we're trying to build something that's very low to the ground um you know people want to see the continuity of material yeah. and there's a lot of time we can't build a deck to the elevation of what we need that to um to transfer from the door down to the ground and where it makes sense to have a deck out from the door but it makes more sense to have a patio further out into the yard we're able to pour a concrete slab install the decorator system uh, sleeper system to that and then continue deck flooring over the top where maybe we're only at four or five inches above soil grade at that point and um, you know we're able to bridge what we do from a, a construction and design standpoint to make all of that look like a deck even though technically half of it's a deck and half of it's a patio that's nice it's nice uh i was gonna ask you um damn i keep forgetting these questions um shit what was i gonna ask you trying to remember i don't know i can't remember now i gotta figure it out um where oh sorry this is what i was gonna ask you in the last 20 years you i get i, I can only assume that lighting and home automation and all the perks that we have inside the house uh that skyrocketed everybody's got to be not only yeah. asking you to build a beautiful outdoor space in the modern daylight and then all of a sudden i want it to look epic at night um, so how's, how's that world been for you navigating through there and offering all those new and cool ideas? It's been awesome, to be honest, to see the technology evolve to where that it is now. You know, we used to use just uh, incandescent bulbs on a 12-volt system to uh, shine up on trees. Every now and then we'd have some pathway lights that, you know, go along the pathway or along the patio. Um, but then it, it graduated into LEDs, which added a new spectrum of light and the ability to highlight features a little bit more accurately, uh, smaller in size as well, especially if you're not using incandescent bulbs. Um, and then the fact that you don't have to replace those bulbs every season too, because they burned out, those LEDs last a lot longer. And then now we're using the RBG lighting, which, you know, provides however many millions of color shades that you would want. And, you know, we have apps on phones that'll run all of your lighting anymore. And there's technology to where you can use your phone to take a picture of a color and make all of your lights turn that color. <laughs> uh, so the flexibility of that, plus the zoning of being able to use different colors in different areas of the outdoor living space is huge from a, 
a, a creative standpoint and the way that we can highlight features in different ways. I've got a, I, I'm hoping that you're not doing this, but I think is uh, I've got a neighbor of mine that recently did a little bit of backyard designing and added a hot tub and all kinds of a little deck and everything like that. But then he threw this harsh light on the second floor right underneath the soffit and it points straight down, but it also spills into my backyard and it's a little bit of annoying. And I keep what I quickly understood when I was doing any kind of outdoor designing or outdoor building is you can't start from your house and work your way when you want to feature it regarding lighting and, and audio components. you got to start from the fence line and point it back into your house because why do you want light spilling outside of your, your, your backyard or audio sure. spilling outside? You want it to be spilling back inside, right? So I'm assuming that's what you're doing. You're working from the fence line back in. Yeah, I'm very conscious of what other people's views of the project are. And, you know, I certainly don't want a spotlight that somebody has shining on their tree behind me shining up into my bedroom every night either. Um, You know, so I am conscious about that. But then again, with lighting, almost everything is dimmable, too. And so it's to create an ambiance. It's really not to highlight something as much, you know, and to create that, um, you know, overused light feature, but to you know, dim that down or to place that accordingly to where it's complimentary and, um, you know, appealing from, you know, your standpoint as the owner of the project, but not creating light pollution. And that's what I like to call it is light pollution, uh, you know, for the neighbors or the surrounding homes. Um, and then, oh, man, I keep forgetting these questions. <laughs> I'm trying to remember. You brought up a very good point and I was trying to figure it out. So have you tackled every scope, every detail of outdoor living? You're, you're handling the pools, the hot tubs, um, I guess, gazebos, I guess, kids areas, uh, play areas, and then, you know, dining areas, cooking areas, lounging areas, fences. You're getting into all those aspects, everything. Oh, absolutely everything. Anything that has to do with the outdoors, that's what we specialize in. Um, you know, you mentioned kids and, and entertainment and, you know, we, we install cornhole and, and uh, horseshoe pits and, you know, we do zip lines and play structures. Nice and things like that you know that's really cool when you you know have a yard that will actually accept having a zip line you've got you know 100 feet of of space to take up and you know you can build a really cool boulder formation where kids can climb up that you know and it's landscaped it's not just an eyesore in the yard but it you know create a mountainous scenario uh you know where kids can you know climb up to the top of the zip line and zip all the way down their yard uh that's really neat and then the outdoor living spaces with barbecues um you know side burners all that stuff too but right next to the water feature and the fire feature so everything is livable but we do all of our own plumbing our own electrical um you know everything that is involved with the outdoor uh we take that on one of the first projects i ever built and it's actually still up to this date is the clients asked me because i was building a deck um, and then uh, they asked me to build the treehouse for the kids. The kids were very small. So I, I, I quickly just did a sketch, and I built a crooked house. I took a house that would have been in looting tunes or something like that. So it was the first and only time I ever built anything that was not straight, and it was done that way purposely, right? It was on 5 degrees, 10 degrees, and, and it, was, it was built really well, and it's, still, it's got a little balcony all the way. It was all designed for kids. So even the, the, uh, the stairs leading up to the top there, you know, the, the steps I think were about 4 inches high 
high. It was all designed. It was awkward for an adult to climb it. And, you know, it was like rope yeah. railings and everything. But it was very, very cool. And it's still up to this day. And I had a lot of fun doing that because we have a big raccoon problem, problem here in Toronto. <laughs> and so I had to put I had to put plexiglass for the windows. I had to put a doorknob. Like, and, and it was like, sure. it, it was nice. It was out of cedar shakes. It was out of pine. And it's uh, it still looks good. It still looks amazing. I love those. And so then, those are really those are really cute projects. And yes. it's nice to see that stuff. And, you know, um, especially for somebody who has uh, a problem building level and plumb, you know, that would be something that good was for hard them to take on. Right. Yeah, that was hard. <laughs> and it was also fun at the bottom of it. Uh, they wanted a sandbox. And then uh -huh. I just said, OK, fine, I'll give you a sandbox. But my uh, me being a kid and digging in a sandbox, I always hated getting to the bottom. So I actually dug that sandbox down four feet. I was like, there's no way wow. these kids are going to get down to four feet. And I just filled it up with brick sand. So I was like, uh -huh. OK, go to town and then just use it. Right. So I, I sure. like all those. Problems. I, 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 do, I totally agree with you, Dave. Like it's 100 percent creativity. Like you've got such a a wide canvas of ideas that you could present to so many clients. And I think that the majority of clients are willing to listen and understand where your thought process is coming from. And they'll definitely, you know, they'll say, yes, let's pull the trigger. Let's do this. Yeah. And a lot of time it's about doing what's right. Also, uh, yeah. you know, you know, what's right in your mind, uh, you know, probably you myself, you know, there's not a lot of people that know what's right, how to transition from, uh, you know, certain materials into other materials, you know, that's a, that's a big problem, but you know, I agree with you. I, I used to hate digging down to the bottom of the sandbox and get there six inches. Yeah. You know, if I can give somebody at least 10 or 12 inches, that would fulfill me. I don't know if I'd go down four, but you know, <laughs> I <laughs> you was know, just digging. I, I was just digging. Kids, they all want to, they all want to dig down to China. Right. Let's do the last segment here, which is a little bit of green book talk equipment care. So you obviously you've got a lot of big toys um and you got to maintain which is a, a whole other part of your business right it's not just yeah. about using tools once or twice and then all of a sudden it's, it's done with right uh, so all yeah. vehicles machinery tools and equipment shall be maintained in a condition that does not endanger a worker no vehicle machinery tool or equipment can be used if it's defective hazardous uh, the weather or other conditions are likely to endanger a worker or it is to be repaired or serviced if a vehicle machine tool or equipment is rated at 10 horsepower or greater copies of the operating manual must be readily available at the project site. Um, it's basically just take care of your tools, man. That's all we're it asking. Is. It's really oh, yeah, important. No, that's that's huge. Uh, tool maintenance is um, is a big issue. Keeping stuff from being weathered, um, you know, sitting out in the rain, sitting out in the snow, just being left out in, in general is, is not acceptable. Uh, we have a 30 foot enclosed trailer and it's plenty large enough to be able to store everything that we need in a nice environment. Uh, we've got a workbench on the inside. And so anytime that a, a tool is damaged or malfunctions, um, it gets flagged, it gets wrapped with yellow tape, the cord gets wrapped around it, then it all gets wrapped together in yellow tape. That's to let everybody know, don't even try to use this, but we have a specific area where those tools get placed so that when we have an opportunity, uh, we can perform the maintenance on those. You know, it's something as easy as just nicking the cord with the yeah. saw blade. It yeah. happens more often than you think, but it's a dangerous tool in a setting where, you know, we're working in the winter and we have melting snow on a patio and there's a cord laying down on the ground that has a nick in it. You don't want anybody using anything like that. Um, you know, sometimes the attachments for the saw blades or something like that on a saw become loose or damaged. And you, the last thing that you want is somebody trying to, uh, you know, cut through a two by four and have the saw kick back on them too. Yeah. 
I want to I want to do the 12 questions but before we do that uh, I want to just uh, man I keep forgetting this it just pissed me off I was going to ask <laughs> you something about oh how do you maintain like Dave this is really uh, important and key because I think we all go through this how do you maintain the momentum when you're dealing with your canvas your job site is honestly dictated by mother nature you guys have weather you don't get extreme weather but you do have your rain you have your thunderstorms you'll get some snow you'll get colder temps how do you maintain that momentum within the crew that you know you start your week you've got this plan but then all of a sudden mother nature has other plans uh, thankfully, uh, all of our projects incorporate multiple trades, um, you know, whether it is the framing and the finishing of a deck or if it's a stone veneer on columns or an outdoor kitchen or something like that. We have different aspects of the project that we can be working on at different times for different occasions. And so we'll always keep that in mind, especially, you know, this time of year, we're, we're in November and uh, snow's starting to fall. We know that there's going to be days where we can't work on masonry. And so we need to choose which days we're working on that stuff and so when we get nice temperatures we know that or you know we're expecting those nicer temperatures that we're going to shift focus and we're going to work on the stone masonry uh, but when those temperatures drop you know that's going to give us an opportunity to get started laying deck flooring or something like that and so we'll actually go back and forth uh, throughout the projects that are incorporated into the design just to keep the production up on that for what the weather dictates for us to do uh, if we're building a porch cover on a project we'd ideally like to get that done as one of the first stages that way we have something to work under um, you know whether we're running electrical lines up through the framing and the rafters or if we're doing an underside finish with tongue and groove and we have a nice workstation where we could set up a staining table and get all of our material pre-stained before we get all of that stuff hung you know so uh, we just try to be flexible with what we do and roll with the punches it's actually a really good plan yeah that's totally that's all on you now i guess you're trying to be as efficient as possible with the yeah. schedule efficiency is huge on a project that's where you're going to lose all of your money um you know yeah. i used to think that it was in material loss is where the money was lost on a project but it's in production rate of production and uh efficiency and so that is a big focus for me right now is making sure that we are efficient and we have everything that we need to be able to accommodate ourselves when we have inclement weather i can only imagine that when you're doing your projects and you guys are all out there working you're in the groove you got the entire family inside the house just looking out through the glass and just as if, <laughs> as if you guys are the zoo animals and they're like visiting the zoo and checking the work out. Is that what we have had? We have clients come out and say, you know, it's just such a pleasure to stand in my window and watch you guys work. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Like, well, thanks a lot. You know, you could bring out the hot chocolate and the coffee for us next time, too. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking to Dave here from LS on the ground, www.lsontheground.com, Dave at lsontheground.com, and find him on all over social media and a YouTube channel under LS on the ground. You ready for the 12 questions of construction? Yeah, let's go for it. Awesome. It's uh, what is your favorite construction word, Dave? Hmm. Um, honesty, it's safety. Safety is my favorite construction word. That is what we uh, we live and die by, honestly. Um, I had a guy with a pretty serious injury a couple of years ago, and even though that I preach safety, maybe got a little bit relaxed on that, but that is the key word for construction is safety because you don't have safety glasses and you damage your eyes, you're, you're not working anymore. You cut your finger off, you're not working anymore. You know, um, Proper lifting techniques, things like that, making 
making sure that we have the adequate tools for the job that we're that we're doing and that we have training for that uh, to avoid those instances but i would say that my favorite construction word is safety good word what's your least favorite construction word <laughs> mistake <laughs> <laughs> you know because then i can just see the dollar signs in front of me you know and i had a guy a couple of years ago you know we've got 20 foot boards on a job site and we have 16 foot boards on a job site and he calls me halfway through the project and he says dave there's something wrong I, i've got six feet of scrap on all of these boards <laughs> you know it's like well the guy was cutting oh. all of his 20s down to 14 instead of his 16s down to 14. <sighs> Um, you know, it can get quite expensive. So a uh, mistake, that's a, a horrible word to have to hear because you know it's going to cost more both in time and finances to fix. What turns you on in construction? Um, well, the ability to be creative. Um, I, I like that word, uh, creativity. Uh, you know, it, it something that helps to wake me up in the morning and get me to go to work. Uh, you know, if I'm doing monotonous stuff, uh, you know, I don't have a desire to get up every day and go and do that. But I'm the same, I'm the um, when same. I can be creative, yeah. uh, you know, that really gets the juices flowing. And it's uh, it starts the ambition uh, of, you know, what I'm trying to do every day. And, um, you know, so that's a good one for me. What's uh, what turns you off in construction? Um, I think anymore it's going to be the lack of help and the lack of talent. Um, you know, it's been very difficult to find people, especially just in these last four or five years, um, that, you know, have any kind of credibility when it comes to knowledge yeah. uh, of what they do and, um, an ability to show up and, uh, and be a part of the team every day. What's your favorite curse word? I don't know about a, a curse word. I try to keep it pretty. If you clean. don't swear, don't worry about it. We don't have to do it. We don't have to do you know, it. Uh, we, we have a, you know, uh, the joke that's commonly used, you know, is that's what she said, you know, I mean, it's, it's something that everybody uses, you know, and it's quite old, but you know, you seem to always find a, a way to use that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> what is your favorite vehicle in the entire world? Uh, in the entire world? Huh? Um, well, you know, I do like a big Dodge 3500 flatbed dually. Uh, you know, I think you can do about anything that you wanted to do, uh, you know, from a work standpoint, I love driving that thing around, but you know, from a luxury side, I would say that I'm pretty fond of a Range Rover. Nice. Yeah, I'm not a big sports car guy myself, but you know, that elegant look of a Range Rover and, uh, you know, driving down the streets, pretty appealing. Nice. What's your least favorite vehicle in the entire world? Oh, I know this one. That's quite easy. That's a Ford 6.0. <laughs> yeah, All the Ford guys are going to come out of the woodwork now. Uh, that's probably the worst engine that was ever created for a work <laughs> truck um, is the Ford 6.0. Um, yeah, I've had two of those. We'll never go with a Ford again after Just that Just problem experience. after problem after problem? Yeah, it is. Uh, you know, you fix a problem, you know, and it's a $2,000 problem. And within a week, you've got another $2,000 problem that's not even related to it. And Ouch. then you fix that. And then you're right back to the original $2,000 problem. <laughs> what construction sound or noise do you love? Um, you know, I do love the, the sound of a miter saw, a chop saw. Um, you got a little bit of a squeal to that when it starts, at least ours does. Um, you know, I think that that's a, a good one because to me that also says accuracy uh, when when a guy's cutting that he's using the right tool uh, for accuracy. So um, I do appreciate that sound. 
What's your go-to blade? I'm just curious. What's your go-to blade uh, for, for cutting composite material? Uh, we use the Diablos. Yep. And, uh, you know, they have a good variety of blades. And sometimes we're interchanging those, um, you know, for different materials, just depending on what we're using. Um, you know, a, a general all-purpose blade works pretty well for just about everything that you're working on, you know. But certainly when we're on framing, we're going to have a framing blade on. And when we're on flooring, we're going to have a fine tooth blade on there uh, just to alle alleviate uh, chips and things like that. There's a reason why they make different blades for all you young people that are starting in the industry. <laughs> Just do not assume that you can use this blade because it's on the saw. Take the few minutes to change it up. True. We actually on. have different saws nice. set up. Our skill saws are set up for different blades. For, even for smarter. Different even smarter. That would require yeah. buying more than one saw, though. Well, it's true. That, same with a grinder. You know, yeah, you don't, same thing. You don't. You Same know, we thing. do a lot of stone cutting and they've got diamond wheels for the grinders. And then yeah. we do a lot of steel cutting and, you know, there's that uh, uh, steel cutoff wheel for that plus yeah. a grinding wheel. So it makes sense to have a grinder with every blade on there. So we have five or six. Does Milwaukee have grinders? They have grinders. Uh, yeah, they do. The, yeah, they have yeah, battery powered and, and corded grinders. And we use both just depending on, um, you know, how hard we're using the tool. Um, you know, but I mean, not, I don't always use Milwaukee. Um, Makita is what we use for our seven inch grinder because it has the strength and the durability. Uh, it won't I think heat I up go in your for, hand either. Well, I'm sorry. It won't heat up in your hand. No, that's true. But yeah. the battery powered grinders, they get super hot. And if you're overworking that tool, it'll actually fail. Uh, you'll have to set it down, let it cool down before you can get started again. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's all about knowing what your tools can do and what the application is and choosing the right one. What construction sound or noise do you hate? <clears throat> I think I hate the air compressor. Yeah. Uh, you know, and that's something that we're able to actually get away from here now uh, with all of the battery powered nailers and the um, uh, gas powered nailers. Uh, you know, that stuff is awesome and they have a lot of power. Uh, you know, something that I really tried to stay clear of when they first came out. I just didn't trust the technology uh, to be able to work throughout the day. Uh, but, you know, Milwaukee, especially they have a great framing hammer. Um, you know, it, it's just the battery usage is what it is, you know, but even batteries have evolved to where you need those to be to have enough power and capacity to get you through a day. Um, the pass load has an amazing um, uh, gas powered gun yep. and I think has a ton of power, but uh, we hate having to buy those cartridges over and over. Over. Last three questions. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt one day, Dave? Um, you know, I think that, you know, a lot of people tell me I'm crazy for wanting to be a chef and working in the restaurant industry, but, oh. you know, on, on top of construction, one of my favorite things to do is cook and, uh, you know, I'm a foodie at heart and everywhere I, every time I travel, I spend all my money on food. And, uh, you know, so I think that I'd probably pursue that if I wasn't in construction and maybe something that, you know, as I get past, uh, doing all of this physical work, uh, I might take the endeavor to, to go and do. I will say this, that question and that answer is probably the answer that shows up quite a mo quite the most, a really? lot of, a lot of know, people want to cook. Yeah. I gotta, I gotta say though, um, you know, from finding employees and from the standpoint of being a business owner in construction, 
those are the people that apply for the jobs with me. And, and to me, what I think of when I think of an, a restaurant employee is when they take a break, they're going out back, they're going to smoke a cigarette and they're opening their phone, looking for a new job. Every time they go on a break, because everybody that applies for a job for me says, you know, I work in a restaurant right now and I'm just looking to get into something new. And, you know, That's I've got to turn all those guys down because it just doesn't translate from one to the other. Yeah. If you don't have that kind of experience. So, um, you know, I think it's fun for me to want to go back, you know, backwards in that. <laughs> what profession would you not like to do? Um, boy. Well, I don't want to work in an office, you know, and that's where I'm at right now. I, I do a lot of design work. I try to stay out of the office when I'm doing that. Um, but an interior um, occupation like that in a cubicle, anything in the corporate world i'm completely against that last question if heaven exists what would you like to hear god say when you arrive at those pearly gates you made it that's it (laughs) thank you um, well i caught you know a checkered past when i was young you know and i thought maybe i'd be heading the opposite direction you know and so i try to do really good in life now i try to have good morals and uh you know good ethics and um you know i think that that would be a welcome phrase to hear is you know you you made it (laughs) nice nice dave thank you very much for being on the show man it's been a pleasure speaking with you and taking the time so i want to let everybody know again dave settlemeyer right Correct. And LS Underground, uh, www.lsunderground.com, David, lsunderground.com, and all over social, especially check out the YouTube channel under LS Underground. Thanks, man. Uh, Angelina, I think we're good. And thank you very much, Dave. Thank you. You guys have a great day. You too.